0: And if this the Lund Loop, if so, um, we wish to cancel, Um, we do not wish to belong to that or to pay this anymore. Thank you. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 31 of the Lund Loop podcast, the podcast where we talk about the intersection of markets, trading, and life. And in a few minutes, I'm going to talk about some of the feedback I got based upon last week's introductory video, where I talked about the future of the Lun Loof. Hello. That's, that's the future. I'm renaming it the Loof. Thank you. Uh, now, the future of the LUNLOOP, uh, which does include the Loop podcast. First, let me just give you a little codicil. There may be some background noise because the LUN kids are particularly rambunctious tonight. It is the end of school and the beginning of the Thanksgiving break. They're off next week, so they're downstairs just going crazy, haywire. So my apologies if you hear some screaming or yelling. They're both in their discords and doing Roblox and God knows what. So, And speaking of kids, that's a pretty good segue over there, right? Speaking of kids, I've got three friends, all of which are over 40, who have had kids within the last two months. One of which, J.C. Peretz from All Star Charts, had twins Now I was a late bloomer when it came to having kids I didn't have my first kid until I was 38 I had my second at 42 So I really relate to what they're going through And watching them go through the process kind of took me back to how I felt When I knew I was going to have kids And it kind of ties into something that happened last week When you find out that you're gonna be a parent, I mean, look, I can't speak for everybody, but for me, for sure, when I found out I was gonna be a parent, the only thing I wanted was to have a healthy baby. That was it, that's all I cared about. And you do all the ultrasounds, you do all the uh, genetic testing, and they tell you pretty much with, not 100% accuracy, but pretty close, yes, you're gonna have a healthy baby, no, maybe there's some problems. But you still don't know, even if they all come back perfect, until that baby comes out. You don't really know what's going on. For example, the first thing that happens when they come out is they test them. They test them to see, can they see? Because it's possible that maybe they they have issues. They could be blind. Can they hear? They put these little headphones on and see if they respond to sounds. And you, you sigh. Oh, you go, okay, cool, good. But that's just the beginning. As they grow up in the first two, three, four, five years, there's all these milestones of things that you have to get past to make sure that everything's okay. You have to see how they develop with their communication and language skills, their social and emotional development you got to watch their movements and their physical development. And then you have to see how are their cognitive skills progressing? Are they thinking? Are they learning? And these are really key things like, you know, does the baby turn their head towards a parent's voice or other sounds? Uh, Do they know how to communicate? Can they cry when they have a need, like to be fed or to have a diaper changed? And then do they stop crying when that need is met? Will they root for like a nipple or a a bottle? Can they grasp onto a finger that you place in their palm? And will they curl their toes when they're touched on the bottom of their foot? These are all key things that if these things don't happen, it's a sign there could be a problem. Um, Socially and emotionally, do they get soothed by a parent's voice and touch? And can they self-soothe when they're upset? And then when you get to the thinking and learning, the cognitive skills, you know, will they look and follow your face? Will they stare at bright objects? And will they move in response to sights and sounds? And these are all the things that you just don't know until you get into it. And what usually happens is you think everything is going along smoothly until it isn't. And that's when your world stops. Now, I remember when my world stopped. My daughter had gone to private school, Catholic school. She was three years in, and then we started my son there. And he was in kindergarten, and he wasn't doing very well. And the problem with this little private school is the teachers there were not really—they were more hired for their religious um, knowledge than I guess their 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 teaching skills and their 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 well-rounded teaching skills. And so the teacher just kept saying, you know, he's not doing the stuff he's supposed to be doing, and he's not supposed to be in the stuff he's doing. We're like, OK. So we finally met with a counselor at the school and she said, you know what? Maybe he would be better off in public school. They have more resources there. Uh, they can help him get up to speed. We said, OK. But part of that process was he had to be tested because since he didn't start at the beginning of preschool or kindergarten, I can't remember which one, kindergarten, I think. And he was coming in mid-year, he had to be tested. So we took him, I took him over to the um, to the local public school and they tested him. And w- what we were worried about was like, does he have some learning or thinking problems? Is he slow, what you would call slow? Um, does he have a, 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 a mental handicap? I didn't think he did, but you just never know. When you're a parent, you're so in these things that you just don't have objectivity. So we did the testing and... Of course, you know, I'm, I'm waiting in the other room. I'm just, I have pins and needles. And they come out and you say, no, he's highly intelligent. And I'm like, oh, okay. But they said he has some language issues. And I was like, language issues? He's only like five. How can he have language issues? They said, well, there's some little key markers that we're finding here that, that they tend to be prevalent with people that are on the spectrum. And I'm like, the, the spectrum? What's the spectrum? And that's when we went to the whole autism and Aspergers and all these different things. So they said we think you should do some extra testing on him. And I'm like, you know, of course I'm freaking out. First thing I did was I called my sister, who's a pretty level-headed person, and she had interacted with my son quite a bit. Never had said anything. And I thought, um, you know, her, her husband is a doctor. I thought she'd have a her hand on her finger on the pulse if there was something wrong. And I said, hey, have you ever noticed anything? different or off with Camden you know we just had this this testing and they said that uh, he might be on the spectrum and there was this pause too long of a pause and I was like oh shit she said well you know I noticed that when I talk to him he doesn't look at me he looks away and I said hmm and then I kind of thought yeah he does do that and that's a very um, traditional sign of somebody that's on the spectrum now I started freaking out, right? And then I asked somebody else, and they kind of said the same thing. And it's it's funny how when you're a parent and you're in this, you just don't see these things. And ever since then, what's really interesting is that both my wife and I have actually uh, interacted with nieces and nephews of relatives or friends. And because now we know the signs, we're like, I think that child there has an issue. And the parents don't know. Or they don't want to know. And you're in this weird position like, do I say something? Because now you can see it. But when you're, it's your kid at the beginning, you don't really see these things. So anyway, we started to get him into school, started to get him into the support services at the school. And, you know, the, the thought that goes through your head, or went through my head, of course, is, will he ever be normal? Now, of course, in the world we live in right now, Normal is a loaded word. But for the purposes of this podcast, normal just means that you are put into this world with a physiological and mentally level playing field. That's it. And I worried that he would never have that. Now, having said that, my son is very low on the autism scale. The autism scale starts at 29.5 and goes up from there. He's literally at 29.5. And I say that because there are some children out there that are autistic that have real problems. And I, when I say my son is autistic, I almost feel guilty because uh, like you wouldn't know, you wouldn't know that he is now. Um, but I, I feel like when I talk about, it's a first world problem compared to some children that are uh, non-communicative, non-responsive. I and mean, they have really, you know, deep problems that they will have to have support their whole life. So but you know, you worry like will they will they be able to have normal relationships? Will they develop normally? Will they have emotional issues? Um, it's it's a big concern. So my wife and I go every Saturday to the LA arboretum. If anyone ever want to assassinate me, it'd be very easy. They could find me there first thing in the morning. And every other week we make our kids go they don't want to go but they have to right it's family time and it's, we always tell them you're going to look back in 50 years when we're gone and be glad we did this so it's fun we go up there we walk the whole um concourse it's about two and a half miles and this last week we went up there and my daughter and my wife had just seen the movie black adam the uh, the movie the new movie with the rock i think it's a marvel movie it's a DC, Marvel, one of those superhero thing. I'm not into that whole genre, but they are. And they saw it on Friday. And so we started walking, and they were a little bit back of my son and I. And man, they started jibber-jabbering about the movie. And, oh, did you see this part here? And oh, did you see that part? And my son was walking a little bit faster, and I walked up with him, and they kept talking. and We walked a little bit faster, and we <laughs> kept walking. And the distance between us and them as, as couples kept going farther and farther and farther. And um, he finally said to me, he goes, God he goes they just won't stop talking about that movie and this is we were already like more than halfway into the walk and i said yeah and he was really kind of irritated about it and i thought well you know what my you know i put on my dad cape this this is a learning moment i'm going to teach him a very deep learning moment and this is important because you know being on the spectrum one of the things is that sometimes your emotional connections are not as strong as people that aren't on the spectrum ironically that's actually sometimes a really good thing right you don't freak out about things you have almost a little bit of a um, arm's length distance on emotions and one thing about children that are on the spectrum is they're so black and white they're so rational and they're so non-judgmental and so matter-of-fact That, again, can be a problem at times. For example, growing up, my son, you know, at at six or seven, we would be in Target, and let's say there's some uh, morbidly obese lady. He would say, that lady's big. He would just say it. He's not making a judgment. He's not being an a-hole. He's literally stating a fact, like the sun comes up in the morning. So I thought, well, this will be one of those teaching moments when I can you know, use the example of what's going on with his mom and his sister as a as a way to talk about the emotional complexities and differences between men and women because, you know, someday hopefully he'll have a girlfriend and he'll have a wife and he'll need to know these things. So I started to tell him a version of a story that I used to give when I was uh, teaching Unitas. Now, Unitos is a Catholic class that... Some parishes require uh, couples to take before they get married. Others just highly suggest that they do. And so my wife is Catholic. I'm not. She wanted to get married in the Catholic church. Fine. No problem with me. But the the parish that we were at required that we went to Unitas class. It's like a couples class, almost like a couples prep, you know, kind of to give you an idea of what's going to happen in marriage to prepare you. Some parishes do it on a really... Uh, Religious bent But some of them do it You know, it's a mixture A little bit of religion But it's also um, Normative psychology And just uh, pragmatic uh, information To help couples So we went through the course It was a 10-week course You have to go two hours Every Thursday for 10 weeks And it was taught by Deacon Bill Corbett And because he was a deacon He was married Which is a good thing Because it would be kind of weird If a priest uh, was teaching A couple's Therapy class. So we met Deacon Bill when we started the class. Great guy. We hit it off really well. We went through the 10 weeks of class. Uh, We stayed in touch with Bill. And the way that the class works is there's about 20 or 30 couples, and then they have about five or six what they call sponsor couples. And these are generally couples that have been married for. I mean, 20, 25, 30 years, and every sponsor couple gets four or five of these, you know, uh, uh, what do you call them? Uh, when you're, uh, what's the word for a couple that's going to be engaged couples, right? They're not married yet. Um, and they're kind of, eh, they're mentors, I guess. So we stayed in touch with, with Deacon Bill, and about three years later, he said, Hey, would you guys like to be a sponsor couple for Unitas? Which I thought was weird because we'd only been married for three years, but. Yeah, we like Bill. The class was okay. So we said, sure. So we became sponsor couples. And then after doing UNITAS for a year or so, one year Bill said, I've got to be out for three weeks. Hey, Brian, can you teach the course for those three weeks? I'm like, sure. Because I like the sound of my own voice, right? I'm I'm doing a podcast so I can hear the sound of my own voice. So I said, sure, I'll do it. And one of the um, modules that... Uh, I had to teach He had like an outline But he said You know what Go with it And do whatever you want One of the modules That I had to talk about Was um, communication Between men and women How they relate So over the years I, I perfected this story That I used to tell As an example Of some of the trouble That men and women Have communicated And I would start off By saying I'm sure you're all Familiar with that book Men are from Mars women are from Venus. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll never read that book because that book assumes that men and women are from the same solar system and we're not even from the same galaxy. And of course, everyone would laugh. And then I would give an example of how men and women communicate differently. I'd say, a guy can leave on Thursday evening with 10 of his buddies, go to Vegas for the weekend, come back Sunday night walk into the house his wife will say hey how was your trip and he'll say great and that's it now his wife by contrast she can go to the mall run into a friend she hasn't seen for a while have a 10-minute conversation and then come home and spend two hours telling him about that conversation all right that's the difference between men and women women are much more multi-directional when they're communicating. They want to tell you more information. They want to get feedback from you. It's a more all-encompassing process. Men are very utilitarian, right? Men look at language like a tool, right? A a hammer is for hammering in a nail. You don't describe the hammer, what it's made of and the color and the shape and everything like that. So neither one is right or wrong, but they're just different. And where we get into trouble as men and women is that we think that the other sex or gender, or whatever they call it these days, should be communicating the way we do. So in that example from Vegas, you know, she says, hey, how was, your, how was your weekend? And he says, great. Now in her mind, she's thinking that, wait, this doesn't make sense. He was gone for four days. I haven't seen him. And all he says is great? Hmm. Maybe I should push harder. And so she'll say, well, who was there? Now, he, on the other hand, is like, I don't understand this. She just asked me how the weekend was. I gave her a very straightforward answer. Great. And now she's asking for more. And so he'd say, "Uh, the regular guys. And then she would be like, hmm, okay. I need to push more. Well, what would you guys do? And then he's like. Uh, nothing, and they go back and forth, and next thing you know, the guy is sleeping on the couch, right? So that's the problem with men and women and how they they communicate differently. And so I was, I was explaining a very, I wouldn't say a dumbed down version of this, but a a more appropriate version for a uh, a thirteen year old, right? I was explaining a concept like this to my son, and I was saying, your mom and sister are communicating about this movie in the way that women generally communicate, right? You and I wouldn't talk about the movie the same way. We'd say, you know, yeah, the movie's great, right? It's different. And I said, one's not right, one's not wrong, but you have to be aware of it because you're gonna have a girlfriend someday or you're gonna have a wife someday. And she's going to wanna over explain something to you and you're gonna wanna naturally go, okay, I, I, that's enough. Or she's gonna want you to tell her something And you're just going to want to say yes, no, maybe, and she's going to want more. And so both sides have to understand that they have to kind of come halfway. If you're a guy, you have to understand that you got to be a little bit more descriptive and a little bit more interactive and spend a little bit more time discussing. And if you're a woman, you have to understand that you know there's a limit and you can't go too far. And I said, it's a very difficult um, dynamic. And this is what causes the root, this is the root of a lot of problems between men and women. It's just something you have to be aware of. And without missing a beat, he just looks at me and he says, so what you're saying is is it's better to be gay You want them to be healthy. You want them to be normal. You want them to be happy. And when things don't turn out the way you planned, your life stops. And you worry. And you stress. And you have anxiety. And you're up late at night thinking to yourself, what sort of life will they have? And after all of that, they turn out to be A normal, smart-ass, 13-year-old boy. Uh, is this the Lund Loop? I want to take a moment here and thank everybody who gave me feedback on my announcement last week regarding the changes in the Lund Loop and some of the things that I'm hoping to propose as we go forward. Um, I have to say, I was pleasantly surprised, but still surprised... That most people were like, "eh, links, no big deal." I mean, people said, "yeah, they're kind of cool, but I could do without them." And honestly, I feel like I should have killed the links two years ago. You don't know how much pressure was lifted from me this week, knowing that I did not have to keep going and diving into all this content to find links for the Lundloop. Seriously, it was like a big weight was lifted off my shoulders. So. Really happy to know that um, the links are not going to be missed. Secondly, I was surprised at how many people said, yeah, the pithy intro, I could take it or leave it. Which, that's cool too, because that at least gives me flexibility to maybe have it or don't have it. During the week, I got a lot of really positive feedback on the new way that I'm going through the green and orange list. Now, this is not totally fixed. I'm still refining it. I'm going to play with some different things, but I think we're on a good trajectory here and a way that we can get the most amount of information in the most digestible way uh, to subscribers. So that's really cool. A lot of people had suggestions about the Discord. I think there's a whole world out there in Discord that I do not know about. There's different bots and plugins and things that will provide functionality. And I'm, you know, again, I'm a little bit on the fence on that because I've seen Discords that look like uh, digital versions of a Pachinko machine. There's just things going off and firing everywhere. And I don't think that's what we want, but I also want to make sure that I'm taking advantage of all the things that will bring value to uh, subscribers that are in the Discord. But by far, the most shocking takeaway is how many people wrote and said, whatever you do, don't kill the podcast, like keep it in some format, which I was, like I said, I was very surprised to that because I don't know, I just feel like the podcast is me just talking and I, uh, there's not that much value to it, but uh, people were really pro podcast. And they gave me a lot of good suggestions. One of the suggestions was maybe you don't have to do it every week. Maybe you just do it when you've got something to say. I like that, but knowing me and knowing my lazy gene, that's going to provide me a temptation to not do it this week and then not do it next week, and then it's going to be six months until the next podcast. So that's probably not a good idea. People had suggestions on the content for the podcast, which I thought were good. Some of them... Were like, why don't you talk through a piece that you've already written on a on a trading subject, but you can expand it, and I like that because there are some really evergreen core pieces that I have, um, you know, in my archive that I can certainly expand upon. So that's that's definitely uh, an option. But something that I kind of thought I might pursue is. This week in the pithy intro, I have the 20 tips from real traders, the 10-year anniversary edition, and this is a post that I did literally 10 years ago this month in uh, November of uh, 2012. And so I reached out to people that I was interacting with on a regular basis on stock twits and Twitter. Most of these people I did not know and had never I hadn't met in real life. But, you know, I said, hey, can you give me some you know, tips? I'm trying to put a post together. This was back when I was on the StockTwits blog network. And people liked the post so much that it was the impetus for my book. Yes, I wrote a book in 2013. I wrote a book called, wait for it, it's called, I forget it sometimes, Trading, the best of the best, top trading tips from our, for our times. Um wrote a book, put it on Amazon, a digital only book. Do not buy this book. It is still up on Amazon, but do not buy this. Um, The reason, well, let me back up a little bit. So what I did is I expanded the pool of people that I was sourcing tips from. And the, the book includes 200 tips from 60 different traders and investors. Now, most of these tips are, old news they were more cutting edge back in 2012 you know all the tips so again there's no need to to buy the book Uh, i originally put the book out as a it was a opportunity to um make a contribution to a friend of mine's uh, side note i have a friend two friends that i went to high school with their daughter mckenna uh when she was seven years old was uh, diagnosed with DIPG, which is a uh, 100% fatal type of tumor. It's a tumor that's uh, mostly for kids. And uh, it's always fatal. And um, she passed away after about a year. And they took that tragedy and formed uh, the McLe- McKenna-Claire Foundation, which their goal is to um, to basically fund uh, research into this uh, into this pediatric disease. And one of the things is because it is fairly rare and it only usually happens to kids, there's no upside for uh, pharmaceutical manufacturers to um, find a cure for it because there's no money. So they, at this time, were still starting up this grassroots organization. I said, you know what? I've got this trading community. I'm gonna source all these people. I'll put a book out on uh, Amazon. I'll push it through my blog, and we can raise some money. We raised like ten or fifteen thousand dollars, which is not nothing. Anyway, uh, but so that book was really cool because you got uh, some people that were putting their money on the line every day, giving you their feedback and their tips and their ideas. So as I was pulling that post out today, and uh, refurbishing it for today's uh, pithy intro, I thought, you know what? Why don't I... Let me back up. I could reach out to a lot of trader investor friends I have and interview them on the podcast. Now, I would probably do it in a different way. Again, it's not going to be like a traditional trading podcasts where like, you know, Hey, focus on risk first and, you know, cut your, your losses quick. And, you know, we get it. I think what I would go into more is what was their journey, right? How did they start out in trading? Um, what were some of the mistakes they made? What were some of the aha moments? What's the psychology behind? What do they still struggle with? Um, I think that could be a value. And, something that i could certainly do on a regular cadence and then within that cadence i could um you know mix it up with different things like talked about um you know expanding on core concepts uh and then also you know talking about current events and things that happen i think another thing is i think this would be super super cool is bringing members of the lund loop community onto the podcast there's a lot of smart people in this community um Nobody has to represent themselves as an expert. We're just, we're talking, right? We're just people talking. I think there's some real value in that option. So I'm excited about where the podcast could go. Um, Don't have it quite nailed down yet, but I think it's something that uh, there's some possibility there. So anyway, if you have any thoughts on where the podcast could go, hit me up. Brian, B-R-I-A-N at thelunloop.com. If you have any ideas or themes or uh, sort of focus that you would like an interview to go to, if I I do start interviewing people from the community, traders, investors and such, uh, I'd love to hear that. So let me know. My goal is to have the format nailed down before the end of the year, and then we can just start the new year off and drive it forward. Also, I'm gonna give you a little uh, heads up here. I think, (laughs) I'm pretty sure that by the first of the year, I'm going to be starting a second newsletter. Now, this second newsletter is going to have nothing to do with trading in the markets. But it's going to be something that's a little bit closer to my heart. So uh, I will let everybody know when that comes out. What I would love when it does come out, and it's going to be a totally free newsletter, is for everybody to subscribe. And then you can just, you know put it as spam, so so you don't have to unsubscribe and break my heart, uh, but you don't have to see it. And then also, I'd love for people to share it uh, when it comes out. I think it's going to be interesting, and uh, I'm excited about it. I've been contemplating this for two, two and a half years. I think some of you probably remember me talking about it. You were probably even on the uh, seed list as I speak, but uh, it's something that I'm excited about, and I hope to launch it uh, with the new year. Um, I would like to repeat that, want to be canceled from the Lund loop, whatever you've got me on, Um, if you wish to call and explain what it is, uh, actually, uh, forget that. Well, that's it for this episode. If you got any questions, hit me up at Brian V R I A N at the and I'll see you next time. Bye.